Chin a boot. All right, so today we're doing. I'm just going to take over. Yeah. This is taking ages. Right, so today <laughs> we're doing something a little bit different, aren't we? We are doing, which is essentially a rip off of another better podcast called uh, Movie Maintenance, which is on the Sans Pants Radio uh, Podcast Network, and they would either suggest ideas for how to fix films or they'd pitch new films. So we thought we would just completely steal that idea. I'm, I've come up with a fictional film and I sent the boys six descriptions of what I want from a song, what kind of mood I'm wanting from it. And they were, those guys picked those six songs and then I've written a sort of pitch for a film and I'm going to put those songs in there. The idea was what to create a soundtrack for a film. I feel like we may have done it the backwards way and perhaps I should have told you <laughs> maybe what was happening first. <laughs> that may have helped. <laughs> yeah, but I think... <laughs> I think what I wanted, I wanted to do the, the proper movie maintenance sort of thing where you don't know what's happening. I tell you the whole story, so that's fresh. But um, I think all the songs have worked out, to be honest. There's none of them that didn't. Um, yeah, I listened to the... When I listened to the playlist, my initial thought was, fuck me, we can put a... We can put a soundtrack together. Like, it was really good. Just in soundtrack quality as well. It really worked. Like, so... And you know, if anyone... Without- Sorry, yeah. carry on. No, no, I was going to say that's without anyone us consulting each other or having seen any of the film. Anyone <laughs> out there is making a movie and needs a soundtrack just now. The Tuna Boot Boys are available. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't charge much. Just a cool crate of refreshing bud each. Um, just if you could also, if you're recruiting us, just like and subscribe to what we're doing. Oh, segue. Segue to fuck, mate. Flawless. I'm back. I'm drinking again. It's great. <laughs> Would you say that it's Budweiser that's been sharpening your podcasting skills, Dougal? Oh yeah, yeah. I but without Bud, my podcasting skills were. Whoa. I mean, if anyone's listened to the first couple of episodes that we put out of season three, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't have the cool, refreshing taste of Bud to really push myself forward. <laughs> Arguably, admitting that you're an alcoholic live on air is probably not the best thing. <laughs> well, to be honest, I don't think we've suggested we're anything. But well, Dougal's not. He's, he went a month without any we're, booze whatsoever. We're quite candid about the fact that we're alcoholics. I think <laughs> probably, mm-hmm. or we try and be. You know, people. <laughs> People deserve to know the people that they're coming to for all their music advice and all their day-to-day things, which I assume people come to us for just to escape the day. So you know we're all a bunch of pissheads. <laughs> all their day-to-day things. What am I going to do today? I don't know. Well, I better listen to Tuna Boot. <laughs> NC. Oh, really? You like that baseline, do you? Well, that's great. I'll get dressed then. I'm going to have a quiche. <laughs> Oh, like a quiche. What's the best quiche? Uh, if Budweiser made a quiche, that would be the best quiche. <laughs> nice. The same Budweiser <laughs> didn't make a quiche. What would be the best quiche? Uh, well, I, I like a, I like pretty much all of them. I like a cheese and bacon quiche. What about a bit of spinach and ricotta one? Don't mind that. Yeah, it's good. There isn't a quiche I don't like. There isn't a quiche you don't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could come up with a combination of like, oh, like. Razor blades and dog shit. Oh, would you like that quiche? Well, and obviously I wouldn't, but that's 
hypothetical quiche that you've just said for no reason, just to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard, Liam. Fuck's sake. With your razor-bladed dog shit quiches <laughs> flying about the place. It's not what a good Budweiser representative should be all about. I'm sorry, I'm just a little light today. <laughs> oh, I love it. Right, shall we just dive in? Boys, Aye. we've got quite a lot to get through. Basically, what I've got here is a 13-page document, which is <laughs> <laughs> essentially half prose, half random thoughts. It's a lot harder than they make it sound <laughs> on the Movie Maintenance show. And I had a whole week from that, because I already did this last <laughs> week and I couldn't make it. I had a whole week to improve it. I haven't looked at it until <laughs> this morning. Also, I had a brilliant idea to how, like, how to make the whole thing like so much more interesting and I had that idea this morning, didn't have time to put that in. <laughs> Most uncouth, Jim. Most uncouth. Listen, it's couth as fuck. It's really couth. It's the <laughs> couthest I've ever been. You couldn't be less couth if a, you know, pigeon shat on you, mate. Couth couth. Couth couth. Couth couth balloosh. So the film I've decided to pitch is a fictional, obviously fictional because it doesn't exist, a sequel to the popular film Fight Club uh, so this film will be called Fight Club 2029 um, the original Fight Club came out in 1999 so it's 30 years later <laughs> <laughs> maths and um, <laughs> so this <laughs> so this film takes place in the same universe as the Fight Club films although it does not have any of the original characters in it mm-hmm. okay so so that's what I'm setting it in. Although earlier on today I had a good idea that I should I should have set it in a world where the film Fight Club existed and that would have been better. Mm. Regardless. This is what we've got. Um and I've also not taken into account the sequels to the Fight Club book. There's I think there's one or maybe two graphic novels that were written. I'm not taking them into account because I haven't read them. And those characters aren't in it. Good decision, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I could have guessed what happened in it <laughs> and then tried to apply that to this. <laughs> but this was I might hard have enough. I that, to be fair. Just well, Jim guessing what happened in a graphic novel. <laughs> it looks really good, but it got some very, very mixed reviews. I'm looking forward to reading mm. it, but... Yeah, I assume... Is the word... <laughs> Is, is, the, is the word shum that he's a try to slip out? No. no. God damn it. For listeners, by the way, me and Liam have been trying to slip in a word that Jim doesn't know about. Yeah. And if he guesses it by the end of this, we buy him a, cre- uh, a four pack of beer. If he doesn't, he buys us both a four pack of beer. Seems fair. So far, he's guessed shum. <laughs> which. Which is out there as a word, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, when I sent out these descriptions of what I wanted the songs to have, I didn't put them in any particular order, but I knew kind of what I was looking for. So the first, the first one that we have here, the description I sent out to the boys was a song which is at first ethereal, light and beautiful, but which becomes more mental. Not metal or shrieking, but more manic. And Liam chose Song for Absolution by Muse. So if you want to talk for a minute or two on... How you arrived at that? I think that's how we'll do it. That's how we'll do it. Cool. Yeah, I thought I we weren't so. doing much talking today, so I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> no, just in general, like what you thought when you first read it, and then it doesn't have to be in depth. Um, I well, sorry. 
so when I was thinking about this kind of track, there was always already a few that were in my head, but I didn't feel like they kind of like covered the kind of background of Fight Club. Weights and Measures is pretty good, or well, was one of the ones that I thought. And then Coy Strings, but that was too like kind of the other way. Like the, the start of that's quite. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not prepared for this. Um, Sorry, I put you on the spot. That's all good. Yeah, so Sing for Absolution. I went for that because it's got a more industrialised sound, which I thought kind of reflected the original Fight Club film quite well. And also there's an element of the songs that were in the original Fight Club were from a slightly older generation. And I've kind of like estimated that it's roughly about the same as when this is, uh, this is now getting created to when Sing for Absolution was out. So just like jumping back a wee bit. Yeah, well there you go. Well thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate how it does have that sort of throw slight throwback to the original film, but is also you know, it it doesn't have the same sort of aesthetic as, as the songs from the original. So I like that that's a throwback to it. But it's also different enough to set the scene for this film, which I want to do right off the bat and make it very clear that this is something completely different, just set within the same universe. So I actually think it bridged the gap quite nicely. Yeah. There we go. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading uh, now. So, opening sequence. <laughs> we, st- we start on a white screen. We then travel slowly through the various systems of the body, as if on a ship floating through space. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wrote most of this in a drunken fury in the two days leading up to last week's record. <laughs> so there's some very fruity language. Um <laughs> And had a whole week to change it and didn't. So we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> it is beautiful and somewhat clinical, in contrast to the thick and grimy opening sequence from the original film. We pick up pace as the music builds. We travel through major arteries of a heavily beating heart, pull back and travel with blood vessels rapidly coursing through the cardiovascular system. We take a detour out through the layers of muscle and flesh until we are running across a vast landscape of skin. We rise up through the air, and as the music fades out, we see, and we see things normally. <laughs> I remember trying to think of how to word that for ages. <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes, we see things like how they are, was one of them. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> we see things like how they are. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> so we go from, the heart's beating really quickly, right? And we see, we see all that, and then we come out. And then we see there's a clenched fist with scars across the knuckles comes into view. This hand belongs to Harriet, 27-year-old woman. She is our protagonist. She breathes in and out. In her non-injured hand is a stress ball which reads, Take control. A woman. (laughs) Some of the characters have names, some of them don't. (laughs) A woman approaches her and says, There's a meeting with all the department heads. She looks at a bunch of code on the screen. Here's my... Right, so there's a note within these notes <laughs> this is a technical note don't know what it would look like but we'll get to our job later right so I was freaking out <laughs> when I was writing this <laughs> and it'll all explain itself as we go on so we're in a meeting room uh, this office building is bright and modern it looks it looks like a really funky place to work we see a sign that reads together forever incorporated never alone just to describe it quickly it's like a, it's similar to Facebook but it's not it's like it, uh, similar to like a dating app, but instead of finding like a lover, uh, it's for finding pals. This thing does exist, but I'm already. But that's the idea. There's a huge table around which all the department heads sit. 
So we've got the owner of the company bounces in and gives a motivational speech. So I've called him Fairfax Kincaid because it's the wankeriest name I could think of. (laughs) (laughs) So Fairfax Kincaid. No offence to anyone whose surname is Kincaid, but that paired with Fairfax is just too much. (laughs) So the owner of the company bounces in and gives a motivational speech about how great everyone has been doing and then delivers a heavily rehearsed monologue about the company's ethos and goals, which are to eliminate loneliness, a disease which leads to depression and disaffection. Nobody should be friendless. Not only is there a friend for everyone, everyone should be each other's friend. He then asks the head of the digital monetary interfacing how the new pop-up ads are doing. <laughs> are they generating income at a faster rate they were as promised? Yes, they are. Wonderful! So what I get the impression that he's, I don't know, like a corporate, so appear to be like some sort of corporate shell, kind of all happy and smiley on the outside, but we sort of think, oh, this guy's probably actually a dick. Yeah, excellent. I'm in. Go for it. Right, so you just want him to yes. come across as pleasant, but he's actually like a massive dick. Well, this is the impression that you get yeah. that he's, you know, it's nice. like he's, you know, he's acting this way for a reason to hide something. Whether or not he is, we will find out as the story progresses. He then asks the head of digital membership maintenance and technical security support, waking us up as I go along, <laughs> that's Harriet, <laughs> uh, how the team in the primary data center are coping with the malfunction in one of their servers. So, basically, uh, fine, there was nothing lost that we couldn't get back. Excellent, Fairfax says. And are you happy? He says. Harriet struggles to answer and is saved when Fairfax's phone rings and he goes to take it. Before he goes, he says, I'm so, so proud of all of you. A huge grin and he's out of there. Right, fun note, Fairfax means pretty hair. Hmm. I did imagine (laughs) blonde waves. Yeah, me too. Yeah, blonde, thinning, comb back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, what? <laughs> so basically, just to briefly describe Harriet's job, I don't know what it means, but something technical to do with the information of the members of this app. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to point out all the glaring inconsistencies and things I don't know. Right, we just have to keep going. So, <laughs> Gabe from Movie Maintenance makes this look so easy. Right. So we're in the canteen. Harriet looks through the irritatingly large selection of healthy food options. And like this is a theme, and <laughs> and lights up when she sees the burgers. She orders one with fries and a milkshake. Don't know why I put that in. Uh, the guy <laughs> serving, <laughs> the guy serving who wasn't an, going to have a name. I was just calling him server, but then I got that confused with the servers in the thing, so I just changed his name to guy. <laughs> so his name's guy. Guy uh, okay, server. He's serving behind the counter. Yeah. Uh, he has an almost healed cut across his nose and he has a black eye. When Harriet pays with a card, he sees the scars across her knuckles and gives her a knowing nod. She smiles confused and we get a sense that there's a madness in the guy's eyes. <laughs> I just, I remember writing that in for something there. <laughs> uh, then, <laughs> then she takes her lunch to, lunch to an empty table and starts to eat by herself. Her apartment hallway. Harriet impatiently, impatiently rushes up the stairs and looks into a large wooden padlocked box by her door. She's excited to see some parcels have been left there, and she goes in. She gets into her apartment. It's filled with novelty items, some practical, some ornamental. Posters for bands and TV shows everywhere. Loads of little figurines and pop culture paraphernalia littering the place. She sits down and opens the parcels. She's got things like themed mugs from TV shows, a phone cover depicting superheroes, that kind of thing. This was going to be going to play a much bigger role. Basically, the idea of her getting things delivered to her door like constantly is this sort of thing of like just trying to fulfill this sort of void somehow it's like 
she's waiting for something to happen. She's waiting for something to change. This sort of symbolises it somehow. I get that. No, no, I'm down. I'm down with that symbolism. Yeah, I'll let you roll with it. Like yeah. it. Thank you very much. That and like a creating a sense of identity through these pop culture references. Yeah. yeah. So she puts the mugs away in the kitchen. Uh, there is a sign held on by a novelty magnet on the fridge that says "Violent behaviour is never the answer." She takes out a frozen microwave dinner and reads the instructions. She goes to put it in the microwave, but the door springs back open. She breathes in, tries again. The door shoots out. She then closes it extremely closely and calmly. Click, it pops out. She then furiously pushes it over and over again until she's battering it, screaming, I just want you to close, that's all I want. What is wrong with you? Just close, close, just close though. Why aren't you closing? Until finally, fuck you, and she chucks it off the counter, spins round and punches something. Uh, we, then, <laughs> we then see her hand buried in the kitchen door. There are several other dents in it. Harriet looks down at the ground in shame and pulls her now bleeding hand out of the door. Uh, she calms down and watches the blood run off onto the floor. So we then cut to an anger management group. So a circle of chairs and a city, shitty looking community centre. So this is obviously a nod to the first Fight Club where the main character uh, would go to various support groups of ailments and diseases and things that he didn't have just as a way to connect with people. This is slightly less subtle or interesting. Harriet listens to one of the members describing an episode they had involving their kids and he flipped out and lost the phone uh, against the wall, presumably chucking it. So I have to decode this as I'm going. <laughs> Bill, the anger management instructor, Bill, the anger management instructor, <laughs> is an extremely polite and caring guy in his late 40s. So he says, Harriet, you've not shared in a long time. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm fine, Bill. I just like to listen. Well, listening is very important, but I can see you have a fresh one there. Referring to her hand, she looks down at the bloody bandage around her hand. What happened? She says, I couldn't get the microwave door to close, and I did breathe in. I asked it to work, and it wouldn't. Well, you should know by now that negotiating with inanimate objects has never worked. Well, it was, I, it was either that or throw it out the fucking window. I did end up smashing it, which led to you punching the wall. The door, yes. Why did you punch the door? It needed to go somewhere. So that's going to be the big theme throughout it. It needed to go somewhere. Nice. Okay. Uh, so did you feel better afterwards? Harriet squeezes her hand and enjoys the pain slightly. Yes, she admits. And do you think this behaviour might affect someone else if they had been a part of it? And she answers, there is no one else. We get the sense that she is alone, angry and slightly bewildered. So Bill nods in concerned agreement. And we have our second piece of music. A sombre hypnotic song that could play over scenes of loneliness. Use the video of Matthew McConaughey drinking coffee in the rain for inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) So just quickly, there's a video of Matthew McConaughey drinking coffee in the rain for 10 hours on YouTube. You can give that a watch if you want. So this one was picked up by Liam and he chose Strobe and insisted on the full cut uh, (laughs) by Dead Mouse. What was going on there? So in particular, it's the first like half a minute to a minute of this Three minutes 52. That I thought would... Pardon? Three minutes fifty-two. Three minutes fifty-two. Is it three minutes fifty-two? Fuck. Well, that's as long as I could. <laughs> that's as long as I was thinking. Well, roughly that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that works, and then it just it becomes something different. Uh, yeah. So, so there's there's a point in the song because it's like seven eight minutes long. Ten minutes there's long. A point in the song where it does ten minutes long. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I underestimated the song a wee bit. A wee that's bit. good though. Enjoyed it. But yeah, so there's a point in the song where it does turn into like kind of classic club clubby like dead mouse track. But the first bit is like this kind of somber, almost atonal kind of piece, which builds and builds and becomes uh, a little bit more churning. I thought it fit quite nicely what I was looking for. That was perfect. 
It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, man, I was surprised when you said you were picking a dead mouse tune. I was like, yeah, you know, all right, Liam, in you go again with your, you know, your stuff. Do your thing. Um, but, like, thinking, especially thinking to the Matthew McConaughey drinking coffee in the rain, <laughs> that tune would work. I'd love to see an edit where someone does that tune over the top of it because it really would work. Mm-hmm. So you did a... You did a Upstanding job. Well yeah. done. That's the first like three and a half minutes of that song was exactly what I was looking for, mm. and I did listen to the whole ten minutes and uh, enjoyed it. It was fine, you know. It was good. So good work there, Liam. Thank you. Problem at all. Right, so to that song. Also, uh, people listening at home. I know this may be confusing for you, but you can either choose to stop and listen to the song now, or you know, stop listening altogether and make <laughs> a sandwich. Just do what you want, really. Um, so, to that song. <laughs> we have a montage of loneliness. Harriet leaves the community centre and wanders home. Uh, she checks the wooden box outside her apartment, which is empty. She eats a frozen pizza, 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 and watches, <laughs> pizza. Uh, and watches unboxing videos on YouTube. Come on, kids, come get your pizza. <laughs> Say cheese. That's pretty good, actually. That's good. She sits and eats her pizza and watches, <laughs> and watches unboxing videos on YouTube. So she watches other people opening stuff. Is that what you meant by unboxing videos? Yeah. That's, for a second, I just thought you'd like. Watching Muhammad Ali in Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they start off injured and get better. It's lovely. It's really pleasant. Yeah, I should have that. I should have that for when I do this, make this film proper. Yeah. Right. So then Montez continues that she later uh, she takes posters down out of like uh, paper tubes and frames them takes time choosing where they should go, replacing old ones. Uh, she sorts out her pop culture knickknacks and moving things around the apartment. Once satisfied, she goes to her room, prepares for bed. She sits on the edge of the bed, staring at the wall. And the next morning, she walks into work. She gets the occasional nod from workers, but nobody really speaks to her. And the music fades out, fades out, and the montage ends when she sits at her desk. Harriet takes a look at her email. One reads, data loss. Uh, some stats appear on the screen. We'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck she mutters to herself as her phone rings it is someone uh, who I later name uh, but it's someone at the primary data centre saying that a staff member who I also name uh, has been fired for mishandling subscription information Harriet is asked to look into vetting the new potential candidates for the jobs as they as- for the job as they assess the damage the woman from earlier tells Harriet that Fairfax wants to see her in his office we cut to Fairfax's office well hi there Harriet go ahead and take a seat Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to do different voices. <laughs> but it's not all punctuated either. So, there's been an unfortunate incident, hasn't there? A member of staff has been fired at the primary data centre. A nice guy, apparently. Five kids. But rules are rules. Our members' privacy and safety is our number one concern. We can't let anyone, family or otherwise, jeopardise that, I'm afraid. Although I do believe it to be a genuine error, we simply can't abide it. Do you agree? She says, yes, I do. It's very serious. He goes on. So if you liaise with the troops over there, keep this information to yourself, and vet the new candidates, that would be super fantastic. Yes, I will. I'm going over this an- this afternoon. Fairfax study har- studies Harriet, which makes her uncomfortable, but she remains restrained and respectful. Are you okay, he asks. I'm fine. You know, you don't start a business with the express and sole intention of bringing people together without understanding people first. All business is the business of people, and I can tell you're not happy. You're not as happy as you could be. And Harry is very disturbed at this level of honesty and doesn't really know how to respond. 
what happened to your hand? She says it burned it on the stove. Fairfax, Fairfax uh, isn't convinced. Why don't we have lunch? Not today. I have a meeting, but tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that's because mm. something else has to happen in the next scene at lunch, so he can't have a meeting. He, he has to be busy. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to talk to you. I could have said, why don't we have lunch tomorrow? The, the, the dialogue's not great. Harriet is shocked and doesn't know quite what to do, so she says, okay. Thank you, Harriet. I'll see you later on. She leaves uh, uneasily with a smile, a nod, and a, she's got her fist, fist clenches. She ma- he makes him very uncom- her very uncomfortable. She returns to her de- desk and shakes it off. She squeezes the stress ball and takes a few deep breaths. So in the canteen, Harriet orders, I'll put mac and cheese. doesn't matter. Well, unhealthy options, basically, though. Actually, it does matter. I forgot it does. <laughs> Even when I'm, you know, not at full percent, everything works, I suppose. Anyway, so the guy, who's called Guy, uh, sir, 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 notices the bandage on her hand and nods at her. So did you win, he says. Sorry, win what? I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but if we don't tell, tell anyone, how do we recruit more people? It doesn't make any sense. I'm really sorry, but I'm not following you. All right, I get it. Following the rules, that's cool. I'm just saying, I'll be going tomorrow night over at the Lunar Inn. Uh, I'm very happy for you, she says, very perplexed. She takes her food to an empty table. Uh, there is a security guard on his break, one table over, eating a packet of yum-yums. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if yum-yums are an American thing either. But basically, he slaps, slops and clumps his way through them, making wet slapping sounds as he eats. He just basically eats like a fucking pig, making horrible noises like that. Mm. Uh, Harriet clenches her fist around her fork while breathing in and keeping it under control as she stares dementedly ahead of her. In her car, she stares equally as demented as she drives along the highway. Her sat-nav is telling her to take the next right. Harriet tells it, it's straight ahead, take a right, it's straight ahead. Make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. I can see the fucking thing from here, fuck you, shut up. She continues screaming at it. Right, so basically I'm trying to get across that everything annoys her. So we're in the primary data centre, server room. Uh, Harriet talks to Janice, who's the head technician. She doesn't come back. Uh, she sits at her desk as Harriet stands by and listens. Basically, uh, the guy's name Brian McNally. Remember that? Uh, the guy who was fired <laughs> made an honest mistake. Another note here. Technical jargon that I didn't have time to research or any, any idea how to. He won't be able to get another job that deals with cybersecurity get. Again, he's got kids to feed. He shouldn't have fucked up, but it's unfortunate. Harriet asks where the files are for the new candidate candidates and asks if there's been many applicants. Janice shows her to an office where there are stacks of folders piled up all over. She says, do I have to go through all the candidates? And she says, this is the shortlist. Good luck. Uh, then there's a long bit of dialogue here, which basically says, there's a security guard called Jordan. Just tell him when you're leaving. All right. I didn't need to write the whole thing out. Just remember that. <laughs> uh, she asks if I can get you anything. No, thank you. Uh, so Janice leaves. Harriet sits down and knocks a pile of folders off the desk. She bites her non-bandaged hand and screams silently into it. Later on, when she is finished, she walks through the empty data centre. She wanders through the large servers and marvels at the... I've put, I've put technology in brackets, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Those big pillars. Yeah, yeah, like the big... The, the classic computer mainframes if someone's going in to, like, hack yeah. or something, and they're big, massive things. They look like big vents. Ah, they're pretty cool. They go into. Yeah. Yeah. If you were technically adept, you'd appreciate it. So that's yeah. what she's doing. She's having a good old appreciate. Of the <laughs> <laughs> right. 
appreciating them madly, mate. Loving Having it. a great old time. Cheers. Uh, so, uh, excuse me, Harriet turns to see Jordan, the security guard. Uh, hi, I'm Harriet from the DMMTSS. That made me laugh. The what? <laughs> she shows him a pass and, she, and he kindly walks her out. Have a good night and drive safe. So that sets up that. I've got a big long note here that says, I am taking poetic license here. I don't think that this would be possible. The servers would be more heavily guarded than that and there would be a night shift. Although Together Forever isn't anywhere near on the same scale as Facebook, I'm sure this couldn't happen. I do apologise for any other glaring inaccuracies or oversights. It was nice of you to apologise for those. Thank you. From our yeah, that's thank you very that's much. from our listeners as well, I'm sure. Apology accepted. Cheers, man. Appreciate it. So back of the car. Turn right, turn right, turn right. Make a U turn. Make a U turn. Her knuckles whiten on the wheel. Ten points for the first to get that reference. Her knuckles whiten on the wheel. Not, Not at the moment, man. First line from Made of Stone. Oh fuck, so it is. Yeah. Oh shit. No Should have got that. No worries. Should have got that. Slipping in the, the music references there. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be in the film, it would just be in the script, so. Doesn't matter. Anyway, the satin house annoying her. So she's in an apartment hallway, she checks the wooden box, it's empty, she feels deflated and goes in. In her apartment, she takes out another frozen pizza and looks for the microwave before remembering she broke it. She puts it in the oven. Cut to later. She sits and watches some inane nonsense on TV and black smoke leaks out from the kitchen. The smoke detector goes ape shit. She goes in and takes the pizza out, dropped it, drops it because it's too hot, and batters the oven door open and shut <laughs> until it comes off its hinges. There's then a knock at the door. Harriet has started to tear up from the rage, and she slams the kitchen door and then rips the front door open. What the fuck is it? Uh, a bloke <laughs> in his dressing gown with severe bedhead leans in the doorway. What is going on in there? Harriet composes herself. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Well, you need help, urgently. One more time and I'm calling the police. I can't take it anymore. Uh, so I'll just try to jazz up. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. T's joint again. <laughs> <laughs> trying to sleep with that fool. Um, can we cast Mr. T as that guy? Yes. <laughs> Ma- yes, you can, al- you, you can also make a note on... Ca- I haven't done any thoughts on casting, but if he's have any ideas. Um, mm, but Mr. T's unpleasant neighbour, so that's good. Yeah, that's, that's, start. Th- that's done. <laughs> so I just thought to do another voice because I realised how monotone my voice has been so far. <laughs> <laughs> One more time and I'm calling the police. I can't take it anymore. Neither can I, she says. I'm sorry. The guy's too tired to argue and he goes upstairs. Harriet calls Bill, who's in bed. He turns the light on and is immediately concerned, yet calming. We intercut between the two of them. What's the matter, he says. I burned a pizza and I broke the oven. I was screaming at my phone earlier and I've been controlling it. I have. Trust me. I didn't knock that guy who was chewing like a fucking maniac. I have been good. It's okay, Harriet. Calm down. I'm sick of fucking breathing. You don't mean that. Breathing as in breathing in and out. As in, well, we all breathe in and out. You know what I mean? Breathing exercise. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. It's not just life. No, well, it's a, sort of, it's a dual meaning there. but Yeah. It's the kind of thing that looks better written down than said. Uh, you, don't, <laughs> you don't mean that. What's wrong? Is it just these appliances that have been triggering you? I think so. Fuck knows. I'm just tired of feeling this way, Bill. I just want it to stop. It's not the anger that is the problem she interrupts. It's the way I react to it. How many fucking times do you have to tell me that? I just want to help Harriet. I do. Tell me what's going on. I don't know. Nothing's been going on. Go to work or come home. It's just bullshit. Well, maybe you should try some hobbies. Some sports, maybe. Maybe you need an outlet. And I've got a note here saying, perhaps I'm being too on the nose here, but fuck it, I need to finish this by tomorrow. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> I don't know, won't that just piss me off as well? Well, maybe. Are you going to be okay on your own tonight? Can you call somebody? I just did. Yes. Look, I'll be fine. You're, you're right. I know you are. Sorry for waking up. You can call me anytime. You know that. Make sure you're at the meeting tomorrow night. Cut to the office the next day. The woman comes up to Harriet and tells her that Fairfax will be in the canteen at one o'clock if you want to join him for lunch. She says, ah, you're right then, I will. But in American. Um, <laughs> all right, so in the canteen, Harriet meets Fairfax as he's talking to Guy. The spread looks great, young man. Ah, here she is. <laughs> I'll, I'll have the Caesar salad and whatever the lady wants. She orders the same out of panic more than anything else, and they sit down. So how are you doing there, kiddo? You don't look like you got much sleep. Again, she's taken aback at this openness. There was a lot of noise in my apartment last night, and I had to work quite late. Of course. How'd you get on? Well, I got there eventually. Excellent. Your work is greatly appreciated. It is a shame about that man. McNally, I think his name was. It was. I do hope he finds work. Harriet nods and looks down at her lunch. The lightness and healthiness of it does nothing for her appetite. So, is there anything I can help you with? I'm fine, Mr. Kincaid. Please. Fairfax. Sorry, Fairfax. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a lot of fun. What really (laughs) happened to your hand? Her hand isn't bandaged anymore, but there are still some visible scratches across the knuckles. He continues. I don't mean to intrude, but I just can't stand the thought of one of my employees being in distress. We all have good days and bad, but you seem to have mostly bad ones. How would you know, she says. I always try to keep an eye on my employees' well-being. If you guys are happy to be here, it makes me happy to be here. There's no point otherwise. It's the way I believe business should be done. And sure, Together Forever isn't as big as our competitors, but it has an ethic and an ethos that I feel is important. So is there anything I can do for you? Like what, she says. I don't know, you tell me. I'm fine, Fairfax, thank you. His phone goes off and she's saved again. Sorry to cut this short, but I really must go. Misspelled must. I really must go. I'm always here to talk. He takes his lunch with him and shouts, The food is tremendous, young man, as he leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Harriet pushes her salad away and tries to contemplate what just happened. Guy flips Fairfax off, gives him the bird, uh, swears with his fingers. Um, (laughs) Just in case anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) uh, So he swears at Fairfax once he's gone and sits down at Harriet's table. What a fucking douche, man. (laughs) I'm not going to do an American accent. Sitting in the canteen like he's one of us fucking corporate arsehole. He's the type of people we need to take down. He is everything that's fucking wrong with everything. He was confusing, I'll give you that, but he was just trying to help. Fuck him, fucking phony. You look like you could use a fight. You coming tonight? To what? He whispers. To fight club. Ah, he said it. What's that? He's a bit on edge hearing this. Did you honestly not know? No, what is it? And have you never heard of Project Mayhem either? Is that a band? Holy shit. Quite like that joke. And uh, it is uh, three three listeners, three monthly listeners. I looked it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that a band? Holy shit! I'm sorry. I should never have mentioned it. I thought you knew the other chick. Who? Well, fuck it. I've told you now. Would you like to come to Fight Club tonight? <laughs> I think you would really love it. Well, what is it? She asks. It's what it sounds like. You go and fight a stranger, then you're no longer strangers. It's the best feeling in the world. She says, well, thank you very much for the offer, but I really don't think you need to be fighting anyone right now. Violent behaviour is never the answer. That's where you're wrong, he says. Nothing like a Friday night fight. If you change your mind, go to the Lunar Inn, 8 o'clock tonight. That's very kind of you. Thank you. 
guy goes back to his work. Harriet begins to ponder all of this when she once again notices the security guard eating donuts and making a horrible racket as he does so. Harriet lays her hands down flat on the table, breathes in and counts backwards from ten. Breathing exercise. The security guard keeps chewing like a disgusting pig and Harriet winces through it, focusing on her exercise. So I've got a note for myself here. Must try and condense these scene ideas, Jim. No need to write out all the dialogue, okay? So I think I make an attempt at that in this next one. Back at the anger management uh, meeting. Bill, hold on. Sorry, my mouth's not feeling that fresh. How are you going to rectify that? Mm. Oh, rectified. Just took a big swig of my Budweiser beer. Out of the three sips of Budweiser beer, was that fine, pleasant, or euphoric? It was somewhere between pleasant and euphoric. It was it, oh. the temperature has been brought down, <laughs> so it's not quite as good as it could be. But you know what? Even if this was boiling hot, even if this was a tea, it would still be magnificent. <laughs> you heard it here first, Bud tea. But wait, is wait? So it's magnificent in between pleasant and euphoric. It's either magnificent, pleasant, or euphoric. What are your words in it? Is it? You tell us. Well, I don't know. I'm asking you. Is pleasant the word? Is ah. euphoric the word? Is magnificent the word? you got to tell us, man. We can't tell you. Well, I've asked if all three. I can't. I'm not just going to... You, you know, you can pick one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I want to go for... I'm going to go for euphoric. Is it euphoric? <clears throat> No. no. Is it is it pleasant? It's pleasant, yeah. mate. Boom. It's pleasant. Well done. Well done. That is a four pack of beer coming your way, my friend. Thank you very much. Oof. I mean <laughs> that um, I think I'm gonna be more proud of that than I am of how good this might be. <laughs> you pushed it one step too far, Liam. You pushed it one step too far. When you said that last one euphoric, I thought it's euphoric. I knew, and I was waiting for Liam to say something. That's why I didn't. Get, I knew it. I knew it was yeah. one of those words. Well done, lads. <laughs> oh, and that segment was sponsored by ah, Budweiser beer. <laughs> Poison. It's and I'm, we're joking. Obviously, it's always euphoric. <laughs> From the first sip to the last. I'd like, uh, I can't wait for you to edit this and listen back to how many times we tried to put pleasant in there because I think we got to like 10 or 11 or something like that. <laughs> I've got to admit, I never noticed you saying it at all. It was euphoric, <laughs> I, I noticed. See, um, when we'd finished our first, like, first Zoom call and went to the second one, just before, like, just after me and Jim both got on it, I muted myself and said pleasant like three, four times. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> anyway. I was hoping hoping that you wouldn't get it and then you'd just be listening to the record and there's like an extra four in there. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Okay, that's fun. That's a fun game we can maybe do every week but or occasionally. But I think change it up. If we do it again yeah. next time, be like me and one of you against one of the other ones. No, definitely. Definitely. Not yeah. just against you every time. <laughs> That'd be a bit it's so stressful. <laughs> right, shall we continue? Yes, I get all that. Okay, <laughs> Uh, anger management Bill gives a pleasant speech (laughs) no 
Uh, Bill gives an impassioned and earnest speech about dealing with emotions. It seems to help everyone except Harriet. Bill asks Harriet to stick around after the session is over, and he tries again to get through to her. He asks her what she is doing to try and help get to the bottom of whatever it is that is nagging her. She claims to not know why, in her words, the void always gets wider. Basically, in this scene, despite Bill's honesty, honest and well-advised attempts to try and help her, Harriet seems to dismiss the idea of anger management altogether because it is just, in her view, repeating mantras and breathing exercises and she's still always angry. Bill asks her why she thinks this is and she replies, I don't know, there is no real reason for it, maybe it just happens, maybe it's purely chemical. Bill is convinced that it's an emotional and psychological problem. Harriet leaves frustrated when Bill suggests that maybe she isn't trying hard enough to help herself. We go to the car again. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Harriet pulls the car over, takes a sat-nav off the dash and boots it into the field at the side of the road. She shouts fuck a few times and scratches her, clutches her head in anger. She then stops and looks in, into her car to look at the clock. 7.15pm. She has a think. So we cut to the leaner in. Harriet pulls up in the parking lot and looks at the place. It's a small boutique bed and breakfast that has a closed sign up on the front door. She sighs, confused, and goes to pull away before she sees a few people smoking at a side entrance. She recognises Guy. She gets out and approaches them cautiously. She overhears Guy talking about his master plan to fuck the whole system up. <laughs> Guy sees her and smiles. Hey, you made it. I nearly didn't. My sat-nav is broken. I thought this was a club. The, cl- the members of the club, really. We just need discreet places to go sometimes. So do you want to fight somebody? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> well, you have to. It's fun. Harry is terrified at the weirdness of the situation, but is intrigued enough to go in. So we go to the basement of the Lunar Inn. There are eight people, three women and five men, in the dank basement. Harry recognises the woman from earlier. Oh, right. She's there. Fairfax's assistant among them. It would have been so much easier if I named her. <laughs> but I didn't, refused to I had the whole thing going where characters who had names there'd be a significance to that compared to people who didn't but to make it make sense I had to give some people so names. far you've named all the males and only one of the females yeah no it wasn't that but <laughs> it, was, it was more tenuous than that I can't remember exactly. <laughs> anyway so uh, the leader of this group that always doesn't have a name um, <laughs> reads out the very slightly different <laughs> rules of Fight Club. You do not talk about Fight Club. When someone taps out, the fight stops. One fight at a time. The fight will last as long as it needs to. And if it's your first night at Fight Club and he looks Harriet dead in her eyes, you have to fight. So we have an even number of members tonight so everyone can get a shot. <laughs> I don't think an American would say that. So everyone can, ha- every- everyone can have a fight. So basically what I want to get across there that the rules are basically the same but slightly different so the idea is that it's in the same universe obviously as when Fight Club happened but it's no longer which is what we'd go into if we had more time but basically like it's not like it used to be it's not like it was in the film there's no leader to it like Jack or Tyler Durden mm-hmm. whoever you know isn't running it he's MIA and, but, but there's still different factions like factions of Project Mayhem there's still fight, people still set up fight clubs but they just do it on their own sort of thing and so the rules have been passed down, but they've changed and that kind of thing. Are they different per group as well? Well, I don't know necessarily. Like we'd only really see this one and this thing, but the idea is it's more like like we could have called this Fight Club Legacy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Easy, easily enough to quote. Um, well, I mean the that, podcast that has to be the new title. Quote movie, mate. Yeah, it's really that. I should have, I should have called it that, but I, just, I really liked 
cycle 2029 so I'll just leave it <laughs> no I like that as well I do like I can see how your idea of Fight Club the film fitting into this universe working just as well because like it's this Absolutely. whole idea of fiction and reality blurring into one and people being influenced by something that they saw uh, enough to create a legacy of it in the real world uh, which is why I think it would have been infinitely more effective if it had, if I'd done the, the movie existed version mm. which I wouldn't have had to change much to fit that in so you can, you can think of it that way if you want as well it I will much of, it, it doesn't actually change much of what actually happened so that could easily be but what I've written isn't that so we'll just keep going with it why don't you show them how it's done so the woman she's wearing gymnastic gear don't know why I felt the need to write that uh, she squares up against a scrawny looking bloke <laughs> uh, Harry is very tense a hand starts shaking this is weird why am I here panic sets in so the woman lets the guy get a, get a few weak punches in before she decks him and beats the shit out of him with an almost robotic precision. There's no sound other than the scuffles, groans and punches. There's nothing pretty, cool or funny about it. The bloke taps out and they hug each other. His nose is burst and his face has some bruises on it, but he seems okay. Happy, even. The woman walks to the side of the room and plunges her hand in some ice. New girl, you're up. Harriet does not want to do this. Guy says, it's okay, you can stop the second it starts if you want, but you're going to love it. She enters the fighting area and is confronted by what I've called an average man. <laughs> so we'll just call him man. <laughs> uh, similar height to Harriet. Her hands are shaking as the fight starts. Again, no other sound other than the scuffling of feet and panting breath. The man is taking it easy on her, throwing her a few light jabs which don't connect. Until one of them does and Harry immediately throws back a lethal punch which crunches into the man's face and knocks him back, bursting his nose and his lip. We push in on Harriet. All sound except the dull breathing is heard. The man looks at Harriet and smiles through the blood on his face. Harriet's hands stop shaking and she smiles back. And then we have our third piece of music. Yeah. Uh, a fight song. It will be dirty and angry, however, it will have a sense of cathartic hopefulness. <laughs> Uh, so this is one that I got. I got the two that the other two guys didn't pick, and I went for "Son and Daughter" by Queen. Mm. Mm. Just b because of the riff, really. It's fucking. It's filthy. It's an absolute monkey song. I love it. And also has that line, "And I want you to be a woman," which um, I like. Oh, was, that was an accident. I wasn't really thinking about that when I chose it, but it's kind of like suggesting, oh, you should be behaving in, you know, as a woman, a ladylike behaviour, and yet she's just beating the shit out of people. That was a happy accident. <laughs> so she balls yeah. up her fists as the music starts. The man walks back and they fight. A short, slow-motion fight sequence to the music. Harriet lets everything out in a primal fury of punches. The man taps out and the song fades out. So like, we wouldn't hear the whole thing, but just enough. Harriet buries hev heavily in the silence and lets the feeling of relief wash over her. Guy nods and smiles. The man gets up and shakes her hand. Food fight, newbie. I misspelled good fight. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea too. Food fight, maybe like f how about a food fight next time? Mm. You know, happy accident again. Uh, Harriet is shocked to find herself feeling so calm and pleasant. That's actually there. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she looks over at the woman and she seems impressed and pleased for her. She walks off and says, "I'll see you guys on Monday." Back at her apartment, she walks in with a smile on her face, very calm and still. She washes some dried blood off her hands and looks at the new scars on top of the old ones. 
Seemingly content with this, she inspects her face in a mirror. A few small bruises. Not too bad. She goes to sleep still smiling. And then we have our fourth piece of music, which I ask for a Taking Back Your Life song. For the first time ever, you're alive and you love it. And Duga went for a scream, Funk Up My Life by Paolo Nutini. Yeah, so I was... Um, it was just before I actually got quarantined in the old COVID that I listened. I decided I'm going to listen to Paolo's new album because our new album in 2014 or whenever he actually released it, 2016, something like that. Just because I hadn't listened to it for a long time, and I thought I'm going to have a go in this and see how it goes. And then Scream came on, which is obviously one of the released songs of that album. And I was just walking, and I actually, I felt just amazing listening to it and walking. And then I started to think, and I was like, this, this could really work. Like, just in that, you know, it's it's all about meeting someone, like, a, you know, starting off this relationship and just, like, being blown away by the love and just everything that's going on that beautiful first sort of honeymoon phase and i thought that the song's just about enough that speaks about her and all that but it can the feeling of it can relate to anything um mm-hmm. so i really liked it and i really like that sort of alabama um alabama three bit that comes into it um mm-hmm. where you've got him just like sort of speaking over the top of this thumping bass line and then it goes back into the, you know, well, she looks so fine. Makes me want to scream hallelujah. And I'm like, fuck yeah. This is exactly the song that I want to pick for this. Because it's just, it's not your like cheesy sort of taking your life back happy sort of songs. It's got that grit, but it's got that fucking, yeah, fuck yeah quality to it. Yeah, because the one I would have, I was going to go for something like I'm Alive by the Hollies. Mm. you know that I am free I am dead. but I think that would have been just a bit too cheesy I like the yeah I like the, the sort of the grit of it and it's just a perfect montage song yeah so, that's that was luckily, as well I you know enough. I spent half my life thinking in montages so we're all, I'm sure I've mentioned it on Tune About Enough that I you know describing something in a montage I'm sure I've done that a couple of times so fucking yeah I know, when I heard it, it was the first time I'd heard it for ages, and I was just like, yeah, this is the one. Yeah. It's so good. That's good. I love it. So, we have that song playing to this montage, uh, which starts off on a white screen. Then Harriet wakes up, she gets out of bed a bit sore. She goes through her apartment and gets rid of all her random pop culture knickknacks. She cleans the whole place and keeps it minimalist. Anything she doesn't need, barring the sofa and TV, of course, gets thrown out. Excuse me. She throws out all her junk food. She goes to the supermarket and buys fresh, healthy stuff. There are a few shots of her at the Lunar Inn basement fighting to varying degrees of success. Shots of her and Guy talking and laughing. Shots of Harriet and the Fight Club crew hanging out in bars, having a good time. Guy is talking to everybody emphatically about something and he has a notepad full of notes on the table. A shot of the woman looking suspiciously at Guy. She doesn't (laughs) trust him. Hence why she's looking suspiciously at him. I've got a lot of information to cram right? So I'm just saying it as it is. Uh, she looks in the box by her apartment door and takes out a large, heavy parcel. She unpacks it, and this time it's a set of weights and other exercise equipment. So she's getting her shit together, basically. And uh, the montage ends with her. She gets a new sat-nav, which she installs. 
and then she sits alone in her empty apartment. And at first she seems content, but then as the music fade out, fades out and she sits in silence, her hand begins to clench up one more time before the montage finishes. Oh, breath. So, back in the office, she sits at her desk, visible scars on her face, shitloads of scenes and information just bunged into the montage. You get the idea. So it's been a while. Mm. Hence the montage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Visible scars on her face, some some recent, some healed. So the woman comes up and has a private chat with Harriet. Have you seen Guy? I don't know what that crazy bastard's up to. I've read this before we started and there's some horrific dialogue here, but I'm just going to say it as is. Hmm. I don't know what that crazy bastard's been up to. What do you mean? He keeps talking about the old days as if they're as if he was there. He was barely born back when it all started. What? Fight Club? Yeah. Oh, shivers. It's horrible. There's no excuse for it. Um, <laughs> what? Fight Club? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she might as well turn to the camera and say it. Anyway, this is drunken notes, okay? So we can't be too harsh. Anyway. In brackets, annoying wink to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> And I did it, but it's a podcast, so anyway. And he keeps talking. Yeah, about... Sorry, I was a bit late at it, but just Phil Jupiter's looking round at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> he does that, eh? He does that. Oh, it's so annoying. But it's not because it's fine. Anyway, so and he keeps talking about Project Mayhem as if it's still a thing. It's over. Deal with it. There's still factions out there. I'm not saying there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't redraft that bit. But without the original leader, I went to shit. Now you have assholes like Guy thinking they know what they're doing, but they don't. The old leader had vision. The guy's a fucking idiot. Just don't listen to him. It gets a bit better now. Harriet tries to defend him. It's all talk. He's just blowing off steam. But just be careful. If he asks you to help out with a mission or an assignment, don't do it. We've been talking about banning him for a while anyway. Well, you know, he understands me. At least. Nobody else does. I'm just saying. Also, Fairfax wants to see you. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible when you have two plot things you need to do at once. Or four. <laughs> that you need to do at once. <laughs> if I was writing a script, that wouldn't happen, okay? It's... Forgot about that. Awesome, Fairfax! Yes. <laughs> Good. I, I mean, you get, we've all been there. We've all done it. Right, Fairfax is open. Harriet, it breaks my heart to tell you, but I have to let you go. Uh, oh, sure. So. Yeah, Fairfax has been told by a certain member of staff that Harriet and Guy were overheard talking about a fight they both have, both had. This behaviour is unacceptable and Guy was fired earlier that day as well. I'm imagining it's probably the security guard. And so he says he still wants Harriet to seek help and is willing to pay for psychiatric treatment. Harriet balls up her fists and her eyes begin to water with rage. The security guard comes in to escort her out. So there'd be a bit more tension there if I put it in. Uh, Harriet packs up her belongings at her desk and puts them in a cardboard box. Security guard puts a stick of gum in his mouth as he walks out. His chewing drives her mental. So here I've got uh, a note. Delete when solved. So she's lost her job and won't be able to pay her rent. Have that set up somehow. I.e. mention it. I could have just had her, the woman from the last scene, mention it. (laughs) You still pay rent on where you live? Yeah. Well, I hope you don't lose your job then. Uh, and I also need one more thing to send her life into a spiral but I don't know what maybe lean into her loneliness never had anyone who loved her always alone so I was no 
So we go to her apartment. She gets back and dumps her stuff on the ground. Her phone rings and it's Bill. Haven't heard from you in a while and you're not coming to meetings. We're worried about you. What's happening? Well, I was just fired. <laughs> I'll never get a job in industry again and I'll probably be homeless within a few months. In brackets. And I've set that up if I had more time. Moving on. You sound, you sound quite calm though. How are you coping with it? Well, I've got a new solution. One that works. Beating the shit out of people in basements. Bill is naturally shocked by this and inquires about it. It's a club. We all want to fight each other. A bleeding, bleeding nose and burst knuckles are far more effective than any breathing exercises or mantras. And he says, violence is never the solution. She replies, that's where you're wrong. Is there anything else I can help you with? I don't think you're heading down the right path here. I've heard about these clubs, and those people don't seem like the, well, the most well-rounded individuals. There's a loud knock at the door. And she says, I need to go. I don't need your help anymore. Don't fucking call me again. She opens the door and Guy bursts in. Can you fucking believe this shit? Fired for what? Punching each other? It doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm going to get back at them, Harry. I am. She asks, what are you going to do? <laughs> he says, I'm going to destroy the fucking company. You win. How are you going to do that? I have a plan. <laughs> I'd finesse it. I'd finesse it. Um, <laughs> I have a plan. To, ex- to expose Kincaid for the fucking suit he is. He cares about people, does he? Well, I'll see if it's money or people he really cares about. That slimy fuck I've been talking to, Brian McNally. <laughs> First word the name that came to my head. The guy who was fired from before, remember? Uh, he doesn't say that. Uh, when, he, <laughs> when he left, he took something with him. We're going to force that fucking prick to face who he is. What are you talking about? Who the fuck is he? He's a fucking puppet for all that is fucking evil. Despite how vague his plan is, Harry is keen for revenge, if a little <laughs> unsure. <laughs> So she looks at a box of her things from work and she sees the stress ball that reads, Take Control. Mm-hmm. She agrees to follow Kincaid back to wherever he lives, then keep him there until Guy and Brian uh, arrive or are able to blackmail him. Guy hands her a gun. He tells her, For too long we have we've felt helpless. Tonight, for the first time in our lives, we're not going to be the ones that are lost. So I've got another note here saying, Harriet should probably be more brainwashed by this point in the story. So we're in the car. Harriet is following Fairfax from the office as he drives home. Her phone rings, it's Bill, and she doesn't answer it. Fairfax goes back to a very small apartment in a run-down part of town. Harriet phones Guy. He asks her where Fairfax has went to. She says it's a crummy apartment in a shithole part of town. Maybe a mistress or something. How are you and Brian doing? He says there was a brief complication, but it's okay. Keep an eye on the building. They're going to phone Fairfax and bribe him with the supposed evidence that Brian had. And they hang up. Harriet waits in the street and looks up at Fairfax's window. She then looks at the sat-nav and the road in front of her. She could just drive away. Bill phones again and she blocks the call. The phone rings another time and it's Guy. He didn't go for it. He's going to call the police. Get the fuck up there now. Keep him there. I'll be there soon. Go. But he'll say it like a person. Uh, she looks up at the window and then at the street ahead. Panic sets, sets in and I've written, It's hella tense. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine that. Cut to Fairfax's apartment built interior. Fairfax's apartment building. Uh, Harriet now wearing a balaclava. Knows uh, she knows his apartment's on the second floor, but doesn't know which number it is. She looks at all the doors in a fluster until she sees his name on the nameplate. She bursts in with a fury, pointing the gun very shakily around the tiny apartment. She sees Fairfax in the corner with his hands up. He's wearing a bathrobe and a kettle whistled on a tiny hot plate. Who else is here? She says. He's alone. He's obviously scared, but he does what she says. Sit the fuck down. She picks up the kettle and it burns her hands, so she drops it. She then kicks fuck out of it, screaming. 
uh, before remembering to keep Fairfax at bay. He hasn't moved. She then sees the front door is open. She closes it, then points the gun at him. This interaction here in my head was going to be so badass, but I never actually wrote it. I just wrote a paragraph <laughs> instead, but I was really looking forward to writing it. And I, sh- I could have done that today, but I didn't. Then there is a very fun interaction where she interrogates him in a very brash and heavy manner. manner. Basically wanting to find out, is he a scumbag? Does he care more about money? And throughout this exchange, in brackets, which I didn't have time to write, although it would have been great fun, uh, it turns out he is completely genuine. He stays in a modest apartment so he can give the rest of his money to charity. He doesn't accept bribes, and he does genuinely care. He wants everyone to have someone. She tells him she's never had anyone, and Fairfax says that the other caller, meaning Guy, had no information whatsoever. So Harry is now in a hopeless situation. So he's a really nice guy, completely genuine. He's just quite pleasant. Yeah, pl- very pleasant. <laughs> the pleasant <laughs> just just looks like a fud, but isn't. So he asks, what do you want? Harriet slowly takes her balaclava off, and Fairfax is stunned to see that it's Harriet. She says she wants a fight. The anger, the pain, the fear and confusion went away only for those few minutes when she was fighting. Nothing in the world felt better. It's every other minute of her life that is a nightmare. Fairfax refuses to fight. He doesn't want this for her. All sound is removed and we have our fifth piece of music, which is the Palace Father John Misty. And I asked, I didn't write down what I asked you, but what did I ask for, for that one? You asked for a song where they went too far. That's right, yeah. Where the characters went too far. And I chose the Palace um, by Father John Misty because, I mean, you know, he... It, it's a song about him going too far it's a song about him when he wrote um, he wrote the um, Disappointing Diamonds whatever album that I can't remember the name of the album give me a second um, but basically the song starts out the, the song starts out saying you know he, he was stuck in a hotel room and he got a bag of speed and it is essentially about Father John Misty writing this album and getting speed delivered to a hotel room and spending a month there just writing his this album which is called god's favorite customer Mm. yeah and it's all about him writing this album and just being in that zone and then his wife uh, or partner worrying about him the whole time and him not getting in contact with her and just going too far with his artistic practices and it's just it's this beautiful song about sort of that it rings true and does just feel like it's got that intensity about going too far i love it and it was instantly as soon as i saw your briefing i was like this is the song i'm gonna use doesn't matter if it fit or not it was always the song (laughs) i was gonna use but it's got that sort of heavy minor bass in the song as well that really just fits for a, a shit you know mm. well I really enjoyed the interpretation of it um, when I first heard it I, I, I thought oh you got the I'm in over my head part I thought is that all it was And then he's exp- but I thought it was a very interesting interpretation and I, I love it so basically what is going to happen is that song is going to play over some slow motion violence um, and I really and actually it's my favourite of the ones I didn't pick although I thought you guys all your songs were perfect but just because it's different to what's like, because it juxtaposes what's going to happen on screen so nicely. I can mm-hmm. just see it mm. so clearly. So the palace by Father John Misty plays. A slow motion sequence begins. She pushes him 
pushes him off the chair and she kicks him to the floor. She keeps goading him and he refuses to engage. She punches him across the face. He doesn't do anything. She stands him up and screams, which we don't hear any of this. Like, fight me then, hit me back. Uh, he refuses, so she punches him to the ground again. Harriet starts viciously beating Fairfax. We don't see much of the violence, but enough to know what's going on. Aye, so then after a while, we pan away from the violence and move towards the window. So you can imagine all this happening in sort of slow motion with that song playing. It'd be lit beautiful. Aye. That's good. That is yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after a while, we pan away <laughs> from the violence and move towards the window. The music continues. We look out into the street and Guy pulls up and runs up the stairs. We de- so this would, all, this would take, obviously, a long time. Uh, so we turn back into the room and see Harriet kneeling on the floor, covered in blood. She's exhausted, relieved and disgusted in equal measure. Guy enters and sees the state of the room. He shuts the door and kneels down next to Harriet and the music sort of fades out. And he tells her they need to go. And in a trance-like state, Harriet goes with him. And that's the end of that scene. So, in Guy's car... Guy drives along the highway, his eyes wide and wild, the rest of him is perfectly calm. Harriet lies in the back seat, hands crusted with blood. She's furious with herself, furious at Guy, and she can't do anything about it. She just lies there in a state of rage and sickness. Guy says, quite plainly, he deserved it. He was a fucking scumbag prick. Fucking Brian was useless, and a fucking pussy. Looks like I have to take care of the final stage of the plan myself. What are you what are you gonna do? she says. You'll see. So they pull up to the primary data centre. Harriet is confused and Guy says he's got something for this place. They both get out of the car and Harriet is sh- shaking her head, feeling distorted. Don't do anything stupid. Guy goes and opens the trunk. Excuse me, Brian, he says as he takes out two Molotov cocktails. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Guy lights the two rags in the bottles and holds them out, one in each hand, as he gives a mostly nonsensical speech about how Fight Club used to mean something. Those guys in Project Mayhem tried to stand for something. They weren't going to let corporations lead everything. Basically not getting the point. And he's clearly desperately unhinged. During this, Harriet has inspected the trunk to see Brian's dead body. What the fuck have you been doing? He was getting in the way of the cause. Just like Fairfax. Just like this place. A shrine to capitalism and corruption. Which we now know it's not. Jordan, the security guard, has seen this and run back inside. Harriet yells, just stop. The police will be on the way. We should just give ourselves up. This won't accomplish anything. It needs to be done, he replies. So he's like, like this sort of manic sort of figure of just just complete mentalness at this point. Mm. And he doesn't seem to care about anything that he's doing. So she tries to negotiate with him, and she said, but he's, he's not listening. And he walks, keeps slowly and slowly closer to the place, uh, to the building. And she takes out the gun and points the gun at him. And he's unfazed by this, keeps smiling like a lunatic and walking backwards towards the building. Guy then screams, we are the same decaying organic matter as anything else, as he runs towards the front door. Just before he gets there, bang! Guy collapses and the bottles smash beneath him. A blaze rushes up all around him. And Harry stops to watch this for a second. He throws the gun towards the front door. Jordan opens it up, picks up the gun and aims it at Harriet. And at this point, our final piece of music starts. We have Moon by Foles. Uh, and the description I gave, I asked for, was a beautiful song about rage. It's not necessarily about rage, but when I remembered how much I love this song and how much I think this song should be in a film, I thought this would suit 
the final images of this film. Harriet slowly walks up to Jordan, tears running down her face. Jordan is shaky and unsure what to do. He's never had to deal with anything like this. Should he put out the fire or keep his gun on the girl? Harriet gets close to Jordan and puts her hand on his. She then puts her forehead up to the barrel of the gun. She looks him dead in her eyes and says, please. Flashing lights appear in the distance. Jordan puts the gun in his belt and goes inside the building. Harriet wanders, now upset, wanders around the burning body of Guy as she gets into the car and she drives off onto the highway. A security guard comes out with a fire blanket. We then cut to a beautiful, I imagine, a beautiful helicopter shot of the car speeding along the highway. It is a furious and beautiful joyride into oblivion. In the car, Harriet clutches the wheel, wheel, tears roll down her face. The rage is still there and she has nowhere to put it and she can't let go of it. Headlights from oncoming cars pass by more and more rapidly. We see her phone on the floor of the back seat. Bill is trying to call. The car speeds up faster and faster. The lights from headlamps slowly fill the car until the entire screen becomes white. The end. Fight Club 2029. Woo! Well done. Woo! Awesome, man. I enjoyed that that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So, some issues, but generally, some fun stuff. The, no, the 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 um, sports script, the sort of spec script was awesome. The yeah. dialogue needs a bit of work, to be honest. But that's all right. No, it was it was a good story. The first Fight Club, man, when she goes in, and that whole scene is described so well. I could see it. I was getting a bit of goosebumps during it. It was awesome. Really good. Like that, and near the ending. Um, I loved it. Yes, appreciate it. <laughs> There's a few things that I'd written down. So, at first, I was because I was trying to work out what was going on, like as I was listening to it. So at first, I kind of guessed that Bill might be one of the original Fight Club members, mm-hmm. uh, which is why he was like, "So, like, you need to get your rage, like, kind of worked out rather than let it building up." That'd be good. I'll have that. Um, <laughs> Then I thought that you know how like this is obviously a splinter kind of cell of uh, the original Fight Clubs, and they're like all all the way through across America and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought maybe that you would be like they would have permeated the corporations they were trying to destroy. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was the way it was going to go originally, but I like the way that you took it with with Fairfax because I thought he was going to be like one of the one of the top Fight Club guys, but I like it that he was just. The way that you did it was nice. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, so the, the, the idea that I wanted to go for was basically someone, which again is why the, the idea of someone, this um, guy, bloke, guy, the guy guy, was uh, mm-hmm. influenced more by the film might have been a more interesting way to go. Because mm-hmm. um, he's like, he's watched it a million times and everything. But then it's yeah. still, it still could work out with it. But basically the idea is, you know, someone who feels angry, sort of disaffected at the world, wants to try and cause some kind of anarchy, but doesn't have any sort of potent ideas behind it. You know, it's just, you know, it's just it's just rage sort of going nowhere. And yeah. uh, I kind of wanted our main character, Harry, to be more of a part of that. You know, just like, just wanting to, you know, just wanting, wanting the oblivion in whatever kind of way it comes in and then to have, yeah. have it set up to, for it to be like, you know, on this big grand scale like Fight Club was, you know, and you have at the end of it, you have all these buildings spoilers, mm. you have all these buildings collapsing, and 
you know, it's it's gone, you know, nationwide and everything like that. I like the idea of it actually being like almost it feel more like an indie film, like a yeah. small, tight sort of thing. So it doesn't it can relate back to the original. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to sully it in any way or try to be yeah. it or a better version of it. So that was good. Yeah, well totally. thanks guys. I appreciate that. So yeah, so there you go. Um so to uh, everybody listening, uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you thank you very much guys for listening and for your music choices. They were all brilliant. Apologies if you guys don't like uh, films or if you don't like Fight Club or if you're not if you're more Team Dougal or Team Liam because I've been speaking for the whole time do apologise but appreciate it as always like and subscribe and fuck off about it anyway yeah like and subscribe keep an eye on it we're going to keep on doing more shit like this and more fun different things I think Mm -hmm. if you think this was fun obviously yeah if you like it in the comments yeah comment if you want us to do more of like someone trying to guess a word as well that was quite i enjoyed that so i hope other people did (laughs) let's finish recording yes good night i've been Dougal. i've been liam and i've i'll always be uh jim cheers peace out Dougal, do you want to see my new ashtray Astray, you mean? Chinaboot. Skish, skish, belush, motherfuckers. <laughs>